Um, so I'm going to read the Bible for us all now. Um, so if you want to uh, open yours up, whether it's your phone or a physical Bible, we'll uh, be reading from John chapter 15, verses 1 to 8. And I'll just give you a moment. All right, so John 15, starting from verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. I'm just going to pray for Mark before uh, he comes up. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would guide Mark as he shares your word with us today, so that we may be built up together as the body of Christ and further equipped to serve as your witnesses in this world. We ask that you speak through him so he can make your word, your character and your commands clear. In the name of our King and Saviour Jesus, we pray. All right, so Caitlin's just read the Bible for us. We are continuing with and actually finishing off, I think, finishing off our series on the I Am statements uh, today. And of course, you would have picked up in the Bible reading that we're talking about I Am the Vine today. Now, I don't think it's a controversial statement at all to say that one of the great issues of our time is the battle for our attention. Our access, or almost unlimited access to devices is hijacking our brains and stealing both our time and ability to focus. Now, I did a bit of research this week, um, ironically on my laptop and phone and sometimes at the same time, um, but I discovered that there is a diversity of evidence out there just in terms of how much time we spend using technology, how much we engage with that. And the research from what I can work out, uh, ranges from really troubling to like profoundly troubling. Uh, There's not much else out there. Uh, But in all seriousness, some of the social and cultural commentators um, believe that this is kind of like the beginning of the end of the human race and others that are slightly less panicked about it. There is a diversity of, of information out there. But certainly one of the more alarmist articles I came across during the week was an article that was entitled uh, The Goldfish Generation, uh, in which the author cites a report from Microsoft which suggests that the average human being now has an attention span of around about eight seconds, uh, which is actually down significantly um, since the year 2000. It was 12 seconds back in the year 2000. Now, I'm not sure how true that is or whatever, but certainly our engagement with technology is having a significant impact on our attention span. Another article that I found during the week um, said that the average smartphone user is unlocking their phone. Actually, turn to the person next to you. How many times do you reckon the average person unlocks their phone during the day? 
What have we got out there? What do you think? What do you reckon, Lot? <laughs> no, not that. Okay, I'll put you out of your misery. Um, it is between 80 and 150 times a day that the average person unlocks their phone. And the average human being is now swiping, clicking, tapping, whatever, their phone an average of 2,617 times every single day. And that's just the average. If you're not doing it that much, there's other people out there that are doing it a whole lot more. It's crazy just the amount of time and energy and focus and attention we give our devices. Um, the Centre for Humane Technology, actually these stats came up before as a little spoiler, but the Centre of, for Humane Technology, who produced that brilliant little documentary on Netflix called The Social Dilemma, have a bunch of peer-reviewed factoids on their website and they highlight a whole bunch of things. So I just focused on the things around attention uh, this week. Um, so here's just a couple of things that, that we can be aware of. This is the kind of cultural tide in which we swim. Um, and that is the level of social media on any given day is linked to a significant correlated increase in memory failure the next day. So think about that as you scroll through Facebook this afternoon. Uh, I, I found this one interesting. The mere presence of your smartphone, even when it's turned off and face down on your desk, has the ability to drain your attention. Uh, 75% of screen content is viewed for less than a minute and most people actually flip between content every 19 seconds. And we spend on average an hour per day getting distracted and then getting back on track, which equates to a full five weeks per year. Five weeks per year that we spend getting distracted by our phone or whatever's going on and then getting back on track. Now, before you start to think that I'm some kind of technophobe uh, and I'm anti-technology, I'm not. Uh, believe me, I am as bad as anyone and I engage with this stuff as much as the next person. In fact, when I read those stats, I'm equally convicted um, as you, I think. Um, and I don't put all this up as well to make us feel guilty. It's not, about, it's not about feeling guilty because getting distracted doesn't make us bad people. Getting distracted just makes us human beings. We get distracted. That's part of life. But I did want us to consider as we begin this morning that whatever way we look at it, we live in a prevailing culture that is winning the battle for our attention and our focus. And not just winning the battle, it's absolutely smashing it. It's absolutely dominating. Our world is noisy, it's busy, and it's complex. We live with unbelievable digital distractions, 24-hour news cycles, and a, just a torrent of information that comes to us every single day through our devices. And I heard someone say just the other day that right at this very moment, the world has never been this fast and it will never be again this slow. That's a bit scary, isn't it? The world's never been this fast and it never will be again this slow. But here's the reality. All of this stuff, and there's a whole lot more probably to say, but all of this stuff makes it incredibly challenging to be a disciple of Jesus. It makes it incredibly challenging to carve out the time and the space and the attention that's required to be an apprentice of Jesus. And it actually makes the passage that we're looking at this morning all the more challenging. So I want to go back into it again. Let's have a look at the words of Jesus in John 15. The first part of what he says, I think he's up there on the screen. 
Let me read it out again in the context of what I've been talking about. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. So just a bit of background. This is the seventh and final of the I am sayings in the book of John. And the first thing to point out as we look at this passage this morning is that that this metaphor of the vineyard, this language of vines would have sounded very familiar to a first century Jewish audience, except for the fact that Jesus, as He wants to do, is flipping that metaphor on its head. You see, right throughout the Old Testament, it is the nation of Israel, it is the Jews themselves that are referred to as the vine or the vineyard. That's who they were supposed to be. It became this really important symbol of their identity. It was incorporated into their architecture and on the back of some of their coins, the nation of Israel as the vineyard of God. Psalm chapter 80 actually captures this really well, which I think is coming up on the screen. So Psalm 80 says this, You were transplanted a vine from Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. And it took root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. Its branches reached as far as the sea. It shoots as far as the river. And you can pick up this imagery in the psalm, can't we? That God as the great gardener brings the people of Israel out of Egypt. He plants them in a fertile land that He'd promised and He does everything for them to make sure that this vineyard will produce the kind of fruit that God desires. Now, if anyone's gonna understand this kind of imagery in the Bible, it's us living in South Australia, right? Our climate and our soil make us one of the premier wine-growing regions in the world. We have expert viticulturalists um, that ensure that the grapes that we produce here in South Australia are world-class. You might have even sampled some of our grapes over the weekend. But unlike the grapes that are growing in the Barossa Valley or McLaren Vale, the vineyard that is Israel only produces bad fruit. Now, if you remember back to the beginning of the story of the nation of Israel... You have God giving Abraham and Sarah, the parents of Israel, three great promises in Genesis chapter 12. The first promise is that they would be the parents of a great nation. The second promise is that they would have a land to live in. And the third promise is that God would bless them as they became a blessing to the world around them. They were to be a signpost of the world, to the world around them, of God's blessing. They would be set apart as God's chosen people. And yet, as we look through the pages of the Old Testament, we discover that time and time again, Israel were far from being a blessing to the world around them. But as time went along, they began to look just like everyone else. As they worshipped other gods, as they oppressed the poor and marginalised in their community. They weren't a signpost. They weren't a blessing. They weren't bringing life. They just looked like everyone else. And so we get passages like this in Isaiah chapter 5. I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard, Israel. 
My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of its stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. Then he looked for a crop of good grapes, but it yielded only bad fruit. And I need Melinda here really to uh, fact check this for me. But I think in Hebrew, uh, bad, that last line, bad fruit, is actually literally translated stink fruit. Just to really hammer home the point. I planted you in this fertile hillside and what have you produced for me? Stink fruit. Just think about those times that you've gone to pick up a, a nice looking piece of fruit and you've bitten into it and it's rotten and just like how, how revolting that is. It's stink fruit. Or if you're a parent, think about the times that you've you know, dug a three-week-old banana out the bottom of your kid's school bag. You get the picture, stink fruit. I've done it before. The boys are smiling down the front. They know what I'm talking about. But that is the kind of fruit that Israel were producing. That is the background into which Jesus speaks, into which he starts talking about himself as the vine. And so when he says, I am the true vine, he's actually saying something quite radical. He's saying that when you look at me, you are seeing the genuine son of the father, the true Israel. All of these Old Testament promises and expectations are being fulfilled now in Jesus. And Jesus is saying, what the vineyard of Israel didn't produce, I will now produce. What they couldn't fulfil, I will now fulfil. It is like the nation of Israel reduced down to one person. It's a bit like kind of using a magnifying glass uh, in your backyard when you're a kid. Anyone do this? Maybe it was just me. When I was a kid, uh, you know, <laughs> no, I don't blame him. When I was a kid, there were no kind of, you know, digital devices. It was, I had a magnifying glass and a footy and that was about it. Uh, that was my kind of childhood. And so I would spend, you know, some summer afternoons going out to the backyard and, and trying to use that magnifying glass as a little homemade laser. It's not actually a laser, but you get what I mean. Like a little homemade laser. Uh, and I would kind of use that little laser on unsuspecting ants and bugs or trying to set fire to the backyard or something like that. You know, good times back in the 1980s. Anyway, um, the science of the magnifying glass is is pretty simple, isn't it? Uh, what you're doing is you're converging or you're bringing together, uh, focusing many, many rays of light, many rays of the sun in, through that magnifying glass into one singular point. And it's a bit like that with Jesus. If you think about all of the Old Testament promises and expectations, all of those loose threads that we have right through the Old Testament, all now in a singular focus, on a singular point on a singular person and that person is Jesus. How could this promise to Abraham that the whole world would be blessed through him ever come true? Well, it's through the true Israel. It's through Jesus that the whole world would be blessed, that the whole world would receive life, that the whole world would experience peace. It's coming through, it's coming true through Jesus. So this for us, this idea that Jesus is the true vine, is actually a really important moment in biblical theology of understanding how the whole story of the Bible fits together, how Jesus becomes the pivot point between the story of Israel and the story of the church. It's incredibly important. But in all the theological importance of this statement, 
there are some serious practical implications for us, for the disciples of the true vine, for the ones who would choose to follow Jesus. Because as we read this passage in John 15, here's the kicker. There is a brand new group of people that are invited to join the vineyard, to be part of the vine, to be grafted into the vine, to produce the kind of fruit that God desires. And it is those who would seek to be Jesus' disciples, to be apprentices of Him. And the instructions for us are both at the same time quite simple and like profoundly challenging. It's one of those moments, simple and yet incredibly challenging at the same time. Let's just have a look at the second part of what Jesus talks about there, picking up in verse 5. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. He couldn't have said it any plainer, could he? Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Now, lesson number one in biblical interpretation, if someone says something over and over and over again, it must be really important. And we see this little word remain. If you heard that word remain uh, lots of times, uh, it's without doubt because it is super important. It is a little Greek word called meno. And Jesus thinks it's so important to remain that he uses that word 10 times in these eight little verses. He's driving home the message that what does it mean to be a fruitful disciple of Jesus? It is to meno. It is to remain, to abide, to rest, to stick, to stay at home with Jesus are all the different ways that we can describe what that word means. But it's super important in the context of what Jesus is talking about here. We can only bear the fruit that God desires if we are grafted in to Jesus. And here is where this metaphor gets pretty challenging, for me at least. I know it's challenging for me, so I'm just going to assume it is for you as well. Because this image is not of the branches just like working strenuously to produce fruit. Like if we just work harder, if we just put more effort in, we'll produce the best fruit. They are simply abiding in Jesus, resting in Jesus, staying at home with Jesus. The challenge of this metaphor is not to work harder, is to stay connected to Jesus because He is the source of life. And I think here we see some echoes of what Paul talks about later on in the New Testament in Galatians 5. As soon as we start talking about fruit, what do we think of? We think of the fruit of the Spirit that we all learnt, you know, growing up at Sunday school. Of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Well done. Good test. So we know about the fruits of the Spirit. And sometimes, again, we can probably start to think about the fruits of the Spirit of a, just a list of things to do, like a checklist that we, need to, that we need to tick off. We need to make sure we get all those things right. But these things are less a, thing, a, a list of things to do, but rather an inner disposition of the heart as we live by the Spirit. 
This fruit is not a matter of effort, but a byproduct of connection to God. And that, there's a big difference there, isn't there? And besides, we already kind of inherently know, don't we, that just trying harder doesn't really work. We can all set out really, you know, we can get up Monday morning, tomorrow morning, we can all get up and, and just decide for ourselves, I'm going to try really hard to be patient today. And then the first time that we hit traffic in the morning or cut off or whatever, that patience goes out the window as quick as a flash because it's not a matter of just trying harder. We've all made those New Year's resolutions about not, you know, eating any more chocolate or, you know, trying to be self-controlled or, you know, trying to find more inner peace. And yet the first time we visit the shops or we run into that difficult family member or whatever it may be, again, all of that just gets exploded as well. It all comes crashing down. And it's a reminder to us that it's not so much a matter of trying harder, but it's a challenge to abide. Giving time and space and attention to the vine so that He can work in us and through us to produce the fruit that God desires. Now, I've just got a quote for, for us to have a look at this morning. This is from a guy called Dallas Willard. Now, Dallas is one of the great thinkers uh, and writers about spiritual formation. And I just want us to ponder this for a second because I think he kind of articulates really well uh, the challenge before us. He says this, the first and most basic thing we can and must do is keep God before our minds. This is the fundamental secret of caring for our souls. Our part in thus practising the presence of God is to direct and redirect our minds constantly to Him. In the early time of our practising, we may well be challenged by our burdensome habits of dwelling on things less than God. But these are habits, not the law of gravity, and can be broken. A new grace-filled habit will replace the former ones as we take intentional steps towards keeping God before us. Soon our minds will return to God as the needle of a compass constantly returns to the north. If God is the great longing of our souls, He will become the pole star of our inward beings. Isn't that a beautiful encapsulation of the challenge that is set before us? Uh, in more earthly terms, John Mark Comer from Bridgetown Church in Portland says that this is actually about learning to always be in two places at once. So it's like I'm out walking the dog in the morning uh, and I'm also being with Jesus. I'm washing the dishes of an afternoon and I'm practising the presence of God, learning to be in two places at once in all of the complexity and busyness and distraction of our world. How do we keep God before us? How do we stay connected to the vine? giving our attention to God in all of the complexity. We don't have to kind of go off into a monastery somewhere to do this. How do we do this in the context of everyday life, of staying connected, of abiding, of remaining, staying at home with Jesus? But just notice the language that Willard uses here. I think it's really important. He says this is about practising the presence of God. And that is that living in a constant state of connection to God takes a lifetime of practice. It's not about like just, I didn't do that very well, clicking our fingers and there we are and we're in the presence of God. Actually, it, like anything else, like sport, like music, like anything else, it takes practice. And here's where these kind of, you know, the classical spiritual practices or disciplines or habits, like scripture reading and prayer and silence and fasting, I don't think they were ever designed to be a quick fix. 
they are practices. And the more we practice, the more we open ourselves up to the presence of Jesus over our lifetime, the more we're able to orient our lives around the life of Jesus. But I don't know about you. I sat there during the week writing some of this uh, and it is challenging, isn't it? Is any of this stuff easy? Maybe it is for some. If, you, if it is easy for you, please come and talk to me afterwards and tell me why. Uh, I find this incredibly challenging. In fact, I can honestly say I can find myself really disciplined in, in lots of areas of life and I still find this hard. After 46 years of trying to work this stuff through, I still find this hard. It's challenging. And not just because we're distracted, although we are, but also because we live in a culture of achievement where we are so focused on doing. And this kind of gets me in the heart too, because one, yes, I get distracted like everyone. And two, I, I kind of have constantly lived in a culture of achievement where it's all just about doing. I came across a quote a few years ago from a guy called Mike Breen, who's a, a pastor in the UK, uh, who just, this one gets me every time too. He says this, that we are a group of people addicted to and obsessed with the work of the kingdom with little to no idea about how we are to be with the king. And that just gets me right in the heart every time. You know, often we think it's, you know, kingdom work is about doing, 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 doing. And yet often we neglect the importance of just spending time with the king. How do we carve out that time and space, focus and attention to spend time with Jesus because he's the source of life. If we are going to produce the kind of fruit that God desires, if we're going to be a blessing to our community, how do we give our attention to Jesus? It takes practice. And the other word that Dallas Willard used is it takes intentionality. And with all of the noise and chaos and digital distraction that I was talking about before, it takes more intentionality than ever before. For us, as Jesus' followers in 2022, it takes more intentionality than probably any other time in history. I have always wanted to be a, a better musician. Like, I, you know, look at these guys up here this morning. And I love music. It's always been a massive part of my life. I've always wanted to be a better musician. Like, I play some guitar, um, but only just enough to get me by. Uh, I gave up piano when I was a kid. My parents, you know, like lots of kids, my parents took me to piano lessons, but I gave it up because I didn't want to practice and I was more interested in kicking the footy, um, let's face it. That's, that's, that was my life. Um, and so, you know, I, I've spent the rest of my life wanting to be a better musician, but never really preparing or never being prepared to commit myself to the kind of lifestyle where that would be a reality. Again, in the words of Dallas Willard, he articulates this beautifully. He says this, that the general human failing, I think it's the next one, if it's going to come up. There it is. The general human failing is to want what is right and important, but at the same time, not to commit to the kind of life that will produce the action we know to be right and the condition we want to enjoy. This is the feature of human character that explains why the road to hell is paved with good intentions. We intend what is right, but we avoid the life that would make it a reality. Put that in the context of what we're talking about this morning. We all want to be more connected to God, don't we? 
I don't think we'd be here at church if that wasn't a wish and a desire that we had. We want greater intimacy with God. We desire to experience His presence in every aspect of our lives. We all want lives that demonstrate love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness and self-control. The question is, are we prepared to be intentional? To be deliberate in the way that we arrange or perhaps rearrange our lives so that we can abide in the vine. We can practice the presence of God. We can spend time with the King. And as I wrap up, that, that's the challenge before you and I this morning. How might we be deliberate in the way that we arrange or rearrange our lives so that in a world of chaos and complexity and constant digital distraction, we can focus our time and our attention on Jesus, to remain in, to stay at home with the source of life, that we might produce the kind of fruit that God desires. I'd love for us just to finish by reflecting on a couple of questions this morning. So go ahead and close your eyes. I just want you to think about this. I want this to, I want us to walk away from here this morning as we go out and have coffee in a minute, to think about where we can start. And to start by thinking, what areas of life, in what areas of life can we start to slow down? Where do we need to carve out more time and space to be with Jesus? Where do we need to confront our distractions? so that we can give more focus and attention to Jesus. And the last question is this. I don't want you to think a week down the track or two weeks or five weeks or whatever. Think about the first steps. Where can you start? Where does it start today? Where does it start tomorrow morning as you get up and you start your week. Let's pray together. King Jesus, we thank you so much that uh, we can be here together and we can think through what it means to abide with you, to stick with you, to stay connected with you. We thank you so much that you are the source of life and that you give us life so that we might bring life to others. We might bear the kind of fruit that, that you're calling us to. Um, but that doesn't happen by accident. Jesus, help us to carve out time and space to spend with you. Help us to give our best focus and attention to you. In a world in which it's so difficult to do that, 
Help us to be people that are intentional, that are deliberate in the way that we spend time with you so that we might orient our lives around your life. That we might, as an outpouring of the time that we spend with you, actually bring life and blessing and delight to all of those around us. Here in our church community, in our workplaces, at school, in our neighbourhoods, wherever that we might find ourselves. And we thank you that you've promised to give us life and life to the full. And in a, in a culture that promises so much, we hang on, we trust in that promise that true life is actually found in you. We thank you that you are the true vine. It's through you that ultimately we find life, that we find forgiveness, that we find peace that we find hope. And may we be a community here at Richmond that that continue to be marked by that. We're a community that meet around King Jesus as the source of our life, as the source of of our community, as the source of our hope. Um, May we be found in you. We thank you so much that you don't leave us on our own in this endeavour as well. You give us your spirit to encourage us, to comfort us, to prompt us, Uh, to show us what we need. You give us each other uh, as encouragement and prompters and to to stay connected so that we can stay connected to you. Uh, And we pray as we practice some community now that we can enjoy time together, enjoy beautiful coffee and actually practice the presence of God as we meet together, talk together, drink together. And we commit all of these things to you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.